Hello and welcome to the 250, the podcast where we throw a wrench through our own front windshield and call it a design choice. I'm Jonathan and with me as always is my co-host Douglas. How are you, Douglas? I'm doing very well, thank you. Thank you, Douglas. <laughs> if this is your first time tuning into the 250, we've taken a snapshot of IMDb's top 250 movies of all time as of January 2020, and we've been watching them from number 250 through to number one. In this podcast, we discuss our opinions, our thoughts, and our reactions to the movies within. Today's movie number 130 is Ford v Ferrari. In the face of dropping sales, the Ford Motor Company approaches Carroll Shelby to design a car that can race in the big leagues with the aim to take down the fan-favourite Ferrari team. Shelby tries to bring in Ken Miles, his star test racer, but business politics and inflated egos block their path. Ford v Ferrari was directed by James Mangold and written by... Jez Butterworth. Jez Butterworth. Yep, sorry. Uh, and John Henry Butterworth and of- John Henry Butterworth. Oh my goodness, he's done a lot of stuff. Edge of Tomorrow, Spectre, Get On Up. And Jason Keller Douglas, were they all just- uh, Were they all just writers? Is, is there uh, there's no other notes about that? Yeah, it was the Butterworth gang who had done Edge of Tomorrow, Spectre, and Get On Up. Oh, I see. It looks as though Jason Keller did Mirror Mirror with- Lily Collins and Julia Roberts, which is like a Snow White take. And then a film called Escape Escape Plan, starring Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, 50 Cent, Sam Neill, and Vinnie Jones. I think I know our next <laughs> bonus. <laughs> that's a- That's a- That's a- uh, Oh my fucking- god. Okay, wait. Sorry, the sequel to Escape Plan has a 4.4 out of 10. <laughs> Oh, wait, maybe it's the third one. Whoa, es- oh, my goodness. Escape Plan 2, 3.8. Holy wow. shit. So, they really got better with time. Yeah, neither Jonathan nor I have seen Ford versus Ferrari before. It is also referred to as Le Mans 66. In- that is another title for the film. Some so parts of Europe, is- they went, that is a more marketable name. And I- th- yeah. I mean, I like both those names. They're both good names. I think, yeah, yeah, in Europe, Le Mans 66 would be a more marketable name because I I definitely didn't know about this point in history because I'm not a racing person. But I would assume it would, it would have been quite the memorable event in 66 or in the 60s. If you were born in the 60s or, like, 40s, 50s, yeah. If you're if you're living in a country that is in some proximity to France, then you probably maybe have some more familiarity with it than yeah. us uh, yobos. I don't know. <laughs> uh, regular English-speaking. Really starting off the podcast very strongly yeah, so, here, um, So, really just selling the, the sort of the situation with yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Energy high. <laughs> Douglas, uh, this is our second car racy movie after Rush. And it's our second film from James Mangold. Oh, was the first one. Wait. Logan. Oh, okay. There's a bunch of crossover. There was someone else that's like involved with this. And I, and I was like, I need to remember who that is. And then I completely forgot. So, you're probably going to tell it to me. John Bernthal? I, well, I mean, have we had a movie with him? John Bernthal? Yeah. Yep. What's the movie? Wolf of Wall Street. Is he in Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah. He's the guy who sells the pen. Boom. Supply and demand. He's trying to get his tomato sauce in the scene. Oh. He's the, he's the beast. Oh, yeah, 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 where he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he's, uh, Leo's character is trying to get everyone to sell the pen and no one can do it. And then- 
He's oh, he's, he's like the, the he's like the muscle or like, something. Boom, supply and demand. Yeah, yeah, he's the muscle guy. Yeah, okay. But in this film, he de- he does not play the muscle oh. at all, which I love for him. <laughs> I adore John Bernthal. I adore him as an actor. So it's amazing to see that he is showcasing his range. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. Was he? Was he the guy that was in? Uh, was he in the zombie show? What the fuck is it called again? Oh, Walking Dead. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That was like how he got his start. Yeah, I liked him in that as well, and and I, I haven't really seen him in other much other stuff. But every time I see him, I'm like, it's the guy, it's the guy from Walking Dead. Like that guy, and I do like him. Oh, he's in Baby Drive as well. We like that man. Anyway, whatever. I've I've left a I've left a little ticking time bomb in here, and we're gonna stumble across it at some point. Some other fucking character or writer or someone has some done something that we like so whatever you get excited for that little bit of foreshadowing for the uh for the crowd at home douglas did you enjoy what do you think did you enjoy what how do you how would you would you compare it to rush perhaps did you enjoy this movie douglas let's just get you know what i'm not gonna stop <laughs> douglas how do you think what do you think about <laughs> next 40 minutes is you trying to get my opinion on the film <laughs> And then the next, it's like 20 minutes of silence while I, I collect all of that information. I think I prefer Rush as a film. I think I prefer the stakes and the storytelling of Rush more over Ford versus Ferrari. That's not to say that I don't appreciate what Ford versus Ferrari is doing. I just think that Rush is a more interesting story with better actors. Chris Hemsworth is the hit or miss, and Christian Bale is the hit or miss oh, really? in both circumstances. Oh. I despise Christian Bale in this movie. Oh, Douglas! He's practically a clown trying to do that Cockney accent. He's literally British. No, he's not. He's American. He's English. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> he, was, he was born in Wales. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Well, there's the Instagram clip, Jonathan. You're welcome. Your <laughs> Douglas is racist against British people. Oh, what? <laughs> but he's so bad, <laughs> huh? I thought it was. I thought it was. Why fun. did he pick the most like American trying to do a Cockney accent voice possible? Well, in I mean, I, I wonder how long he's been in America because I. Th- I think, as a non-American, that his American accent's pretty solid, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously so. That's why I thought he was American. It doesn't even feel like he's putting a voice in. Because I watched a clip from- Just a short clip today from Batman Begins. And I was like, oh, that's him. That's his same voice that he uses in American Psycho. So, like, clearly, I think that might just be his day-to-day voice. So, maybe he moved when he was- pretty young maybe and he sort of just has a could have been yeah i don't know anyway i i sort of i thought it was fun i thought it was all right i think there's there's elements to each character or rather the the character as portrayed by the actors that is like good and bad in its own little like ways i think i think the problem is that i saw matt damon i saw carol shelby and i and i saw matt damon you know i think Christian Bale, it always felt like he was his own, even if, even if, probably it was maybe harder for you to feel that if his voice was ticking you off, but he did seem like I wasn't watching Christian Bale play a character, I think. It might just be because 
I don't know. Maybe I'm used to seeing Christian Bale with a weird beard these days. Perhaps mm. he does also do like he does this like lip pursing thing. That's like yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> he's he's like an okay face match for the original character, which is mm. sort of like not even worth like overthinking that much. I was sort of thinking about the concept of, and now, now oh, here we go. Immediately derail the podcast. I was thinking about the <laughs> the concept of. You know, like biographical, like films that are based on an event that happened in history and the value of sticking close to the actual events versus sort of dramatizing this. And I think this is definitely more dramatized than Rush was, I think. Mm. I think Rush's sort of underpinning relationship and like character struggle was pretty- cut and dry and there, there's maybe not as many elements to it which maybe makes it a bit easier to represent it in film without having to sort of play with it whereas there were definitely moments in this where i was like watching things happen and i'm like i don't think that happened anywhere near mm. as dramatically but and actually there's a couple of moments where i'm like there's like no real way that even if that did happen, like, surely the person who did that event would not tell you about, like, some things that they're not, like, criminal, but they're, like, morally questionable within the sort of uh, framework of, uh, you know, car racing and, and uh, like, being an honorable sportsman in a way. Anyway, um, yeah. like, if someone had actually done that because they didn't get caught in the film, I'm like, why would you tell? Anyway. This, this is definitely, it <laughs> felt, it at least felt more dramatized. It felt more Hollywood. Than Rush did, I think. It has been a while. Yes. It has been a while. It's been a very long while since yes. we watched Rush, actually. So, that's- It's definitely, in, like, right now, me thinking of what Rush is as a film and what Ford versus Ferrari is, is as a film. Ford versus Ferrari is much more spectacle-based mm. than Rush. Mm. It's a very pretty film, especially with some of the racing stuff, like- some of those shots are fucking incredible. Them. I'm wondering how much CG got involved, but it looks so mm. legit that I'm I'm not convinced it is. Mm. But there's these cameras that are really very closely following some of these cars, and it's not in a way that it's like you strapped a camera to a car. It's like uh, I don't know. I don't know how they've done it. Some complex tracks or something, mm. and just like the general visual style. Uh, maybe that makes it feel more. Hollywood as well. I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of really not focusing on one fucking thing. Yeah. I, I Maybe we don't talk too much about the character parts of the film to sort of just leave that for spoilers. I think it is surprisingly more character based than you might expect. Although that's sort of what Rush was as well. But yeah. it's not just about people- People making cars. It is sort of just about the men, but in a way that is a bit more interesting than- Douglas makes it sound. <laughs> there's there's a there's a lot going on with uh, sort of the way that you know all these personalities, like we said in the opening, get involved, and it's almost like there's like a like a trio of characters that are sort of key. You've got uh, Ken Hall, Christian Bale. You've got Carol Shelby, who is Matt Damon, and then I think yeah. John Bernthal is sort of the third kind of main character slash the other big guy from Ford. 
Leela Coca is John Bernthal's character. Lee Iacocca. <clears throat> Thank you. And um, especially in the first third half of the film, it sort of jumps between them in a way that I really liked. And I always found that refreshing. There wasn't one of those three where it jumped to someone else and I'm like, oh, this fucking guy. I was like, oh, cool. Mm. I'm like, and every time it would jump, it'd be like, oh, sweet. Okay. I, we had to hear about this person. I always, I never felt like we spent too long or too little with any one character. And the, that sort mm. of dynamic changes as we head further into the film. But in that, you know, first, probably, it's probably the first half. It's probably the first half. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was a really good structuring system. What do you, what do you, do, how did you feel? Do you have this screenplay writing wise? Yeah. Um, it's no surprise that these writers had a hand in writing Edge of Tomorrow. I will say that in the, the structure of the plot and the general tone and everything, it rings very much Edge of Tomorrow sort of energy. Mm. But, I think you can have the most talented writing team behind this. I think I just this film isn't for me, really. Oh, really? Like, this is wait, okay, wait. Let's let's see what Douglas put on uh, put on Letterbox. Let's haven't see. done my Letterbox review yet. All right, what do you what what kind of no spoilers? What kind of general number? So just so just so I can like have an idea of the sort of standpoints that we're working with. Three. A three, three or a two point five, leaning more two, towards three. Two point five, Douglas. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would maybe put it more like a four. Mm. I, I I can definitely see where you could have complaints with it, um, but I did find it very. It's 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 fucking it's speed racer for your dad. That's the that's my bottom line. This this film is for fifty five year old suburban dad. I may have shown my hand enjoying this so much. <laughs> Their dad watched the thing and they were like, son, let me, let me tell you about Lamar 66. And then they, they go, okay, dad. And then now they're the dad going, son, let me tell you about Lamar 66. Let's go to the cinema. And then they go to the cinema and they watch this fucking movie. And the reason that this film is sitting at fucking number 130 at the time for 250 time it's sitting at 130 the film came out in november of 2019 the 250 took its snapshot of the imdb's top 250 films of all time list oh. in january of 2020 there was a lot of hype behind this film and there was a lot of suburban dads <laughs> fleeting to imdb to post their reviews and tell the world about how much they love this racing car film with matt damon and christian bale about a, a, a subject that they are very passionate about and god bless them i love that but <laughs> there's about 10, maybe 20 other films that I would rank way above what Ford uh, versus Ferrari is trying so. to do. I guess so. And if you look at the list at time of recording, it's sitting at number 210 in IMDb's top 250 films of all time now. So it has slipped quite considerably. But I think, I think that that's appropriate. I think if we had come to this film at the 210-ish mark... Perhaps I might have been more receptive, and I am very aware of my own assumptions and biases based off of we're in the 130 now. We're about to hit the practically the halfway mark of the top 250 films. We better be seeing some fucking hot shit from here on out. Like, I am expecting nothing but four and a half, five stars upward, mm. basically. 
And anything that's not hitting that benchmark for me, I, I think I am being quite cynical towards it and being like, okay, well, what what is it about this film that had people fucking losing their minds? For me, what had me losing my mind and what gives me that justification for giving it a three star rather than... It's, it sounds like I want to give it half a star. I promise <laughs> there are things I like about this film. First and foremost... Marco Beltrami and Buck Sanders on composition. My God, this film is jazzy as hell. It's country as hell. It's, ah, it's everything, man. Like, these two composers have such breadth in what they can bring to the film, and it complements it perfectly Mm. every single time. Marco Beltrami also composed for Logan, which... Also, like, rings very true for me. I'm like, yep, love Logan. Also composed for Snowpiercer. We did a bonus episode on Snowpiercer, but I like Snowpiercer's soundtrack a lot as well. Did A Quiet Place. Probably didn't have to do too much work for that film. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I'm going to look up how long The Quiet Place soundtrack is. (laughs) (laughs) And then did uh, Venom Let There Be Carnage as well. And I fucking, that that film is already batshit crazy. So I, yeah, they're all great. I love those compositions. So it makes sense that this film is so well adequately backed in a sound department sense. There's Marco and Buck pick their points perfectly for when they need to go jazzy and kind of chill as hell, like splashy on the percussion and shit and the brass is going (laughs) and then you're just like oh yeah like what's happening lee it does a similar thing to some like it hot where it brings in something funky it adds some energy and dynamic yeah yeah uh i think i took two notes there's the final stretch in one of the first races has complete, like, a, it has a jazz solo, like a saxophone solo, this freeform thing, which is like, oh, oh, it's beautiful. It, it got me it's so sick. excited. Yeah. And they, when they're in Italy, they use this very, like, splashy, like, you know, uh, type jazz track there. I think everything else didn't really catch my attention, but I do remember, and I mean- Oh, my God, this opening track is, like- It's racing. It's just- It's racing the song, right? Like, if I were to boot up, like, a PlayStation 1 Need for Speed game or something like that, and I- I'd Actually, no, a PlayStation 1 Need for Speed is more like acid jazz. Um, if I were to boot up a- Okay, PlayStation 3. That sounds- I think you need- more. No, no, here's the trick. You need an Xbox- racing game ah, right there we go yeah because all the playstation yes. ones are written by japanese people and they know what they're doing with the acid jazz it's a uh it's like a it's a racing game that's got some random racer like their name attached to the, <laughs> mm. the branding and it's like tony hawk's pro racing F- three yeah 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 <laughs> exactly yep um give us tony hawk's pro racing three by the way uh yeah Microsoft. yeah i want to see I've been on the edge of my seat since racing. Tony Hawk's Pro Racing 2. Fucking begging. Um, yeah, I love that. I love that. I think that that's great. I love the compositions. They're fantastic. I love the cinematography. The cinematography is very strong. As you said, there's some very dynamic shots in the way that this film does racing. Does do it better than Rush. I will concede that. The It makes the racing very energetic. And especially, like I was going to say, especially the 
third act, but all of the sequences of racing are very dynamic. They're popping with life and but the camera work on them is so fucking good. Like there were It's tight as hell. Constantly I was like, how did they do that? Which is mm. which is great. I mean you can sort of mm. from a technical sp- uh, perspective, you're like fucking sweet. Mm. Apparently they use some very fancy lenses mm. um for a lot of the filming as well. Uh they were Panavision C dash H dash and T series lenses. Jonathan is fucking thrashing. Um, this this song kills, dude. This is good. <laughs> this song's fucking awesome. I stand corrected. the The soundtrack is great. It's just the writing that falls a bit flat for me, and that's I don't think that's in any part fault of the actors, of the Butterworths. Butterworths. Um, Mangold, I just don't think that I'm just very ultimately interested in this story and this. It, it, I can feel Mangold wanting to get me interested and wanting me to be like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, cool. But I just not. <laughs> I just, I, it felt like Warrior to me. It, it felt very much like two dudes, like trying to get by, trying to like put it to the man, like trying to, trying to make things happen. And so, like, here he is. Here's man number one. Like, listen to his plight. What's going on with him? Well, that's great. Okay. Man number two. <laughs> you know him. You love him. It's Christian Bale. Oh, he's doing like a Cockney accent. That's kind of cool. And he's got a hot wife who knows a lot about cars. That's fucking, <laughs> oh, yeah. That's going to please all the 50 year old men in the fucking audience. Like, it just. Yeah, it's it's a film made for 55-year-old <laughs> suburban dads, and that's completely fine. I'm not a 55-year-old <laughs> suburban dad who likes racing. You will be one day, Douglas. Well, I will be one day. Get excited. One day. I'll turn on Formula 3 racing, and I'll, I'll just feel like my heart rate go up like 20, <laughs> 20 beats a minute. Feel the blood pressure really you, start to kick Apple Watch in. sends out an automated cool. triple zero because yeah, you're yeah. clearly having a heart cool. attack. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, this is, this is interesting because you have brought up actually some complaints I had with them. For some reason for me, they weren't kill, like, like mood killers for me. I, I did go like, there's the whole opening bit where Ken Miles' wife is like doing the whole like, I got this sexy car, I'm a sexy car Megan lady. Megan Fox. Um, yeah, Me- exactly. Megan energy. Fox, yeah, which is honestly an insult to Megan Fox. Uh, Transformers 1, <laughs> Megan Fox, yeah. Not the character, but the statement, whatever. I, I, I remember seeing that. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Yeah. And then there's the there's another bit where, like, Ken Miles is like, I'm angry at you, Matt Damon. I'm so angry at you. And he punches him and they have, like, a stupid little, like, fist fight in the street. And I'm like, this is, like, kind of a toxic perspective. <laughs> I, it, it's, like, it's like this, like, stupid, like, film trope where they're just like, these guys, they can only get to the bottom of it if they use their fists. That's how men uh, uh, communicate their feelings is by- fighting <laughs> I was like oh, okay that's not really something we should be like uh, supporting I think but that whatever so I think there were like touches of that I wonder if I've had this thought while you've been talking I wonder if because this is so foreign to my interests maybe that's why this interests me so much and I think yeah. I think to yeah. some degree it's not the film's not schlocky but it is definitely less it's passionate. Yeah, I, I mean, it's Hollywood. It, it's it's there's a lot of these interactions are super dramatized, 
And like I said before, I'm going like, I don't think that's how that happened. That doesn't feel right. But I'm like, it's cool. I, I feel, I feel like just that pure, it, it's like junk food almost, you know, it's, it's, there's, we've, we've, we've removed the germ of this, of this grain. And now you have the pure white bread. The, uh, this bread is, this is, uh, this film is tip top bread and, uh, I'm missing out <laughs> on all the nutrients. <laughs> Douglas, but that, yeah, that analogy is definitely going to work for our overseas. Fuck em. Um, but I'm, I, I, I'm wondering if this is like a run on from my sort of like big thinky movie fatigue that you could probably, if you went back a couple episodes, you could probably feel really setting in. And then we hit like, our like two Ghibli's and our night is short walk on girl. I, I've just like, now I'm like, ah, cool. Junk food movie. Thank Christ. <laughs> I like, uh, I want something yeah. fun and exciting. Yeah. And um, I'm going to have a really hard time when we start going back into these dramas. That really is something, I guess, to, to, to keep in mind for both you and for me to, to just check the, the bias and the place that we're in right now. Mm. Like the, a film can change. Your, your perspective and reaction to a film can change entirely on the situation and circumstances that you are in mm. at that very point and place in time. There were some films that I watched recently and I one I hadn't seen before, one that I had seen before when I was a kid or my in my teenage years. My circumstances have changed completely since I watched it last and it's I see the film very differently to how I used to see it. So yeah, it is important to, I guess, keep that in mind as we continue down the list. Mm. Perhaps I am too cynical of this film because of its place in the list. I'm wary of that. So perhaps I'm judging it more harshly than if we were to strip the entire gimmick of the 250 away and just go, hey, we're just watching some films. But yeah, you were just talking last... You reminded me just as you were talking then. You were talking last week about how the... Eastern or Japanese, I guess, style of screenplay writing and things like that, at least in an animated department goes, their screenplay writing departments and storyboarding gang are so passionate about very particular subjects. Mm. So there is a plethora of rock climbing anime, <laughs> firefighting anime, <laughs> ice skating anime. Like, it's they're the most succinct, weird subjects that you would not expect there to be a television show about. And yet there is. I pin Ford versus Ferrari under the Western equivalent of that. This is a group of people who are very passionate about racing and about this particular story and, and its place in history and the history of racing. And they want to tell that story. They want to retell that story, give it a little bit of pizzazz and inform a later generation of that story and that legend in the hopes of it continuing on and carrying on into uh, the near distant future i think that that's fine it's just that it just doesn't fuck <laughs> just with didn't me. excite so you fuck off christian bale get get out of my face douglas wants more nutrients that's more filming yeah. goodness exactly i want more i want more ingmar bergman when are we getting him back again? yeah what if this movie was about the tortured soul of a Race car driver <laughs> that's past his prime and he's it's a, coming to terms it's a, no, 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 with no, no, no. longer. Okay, hear me out. Hear me out. Hear okay, me out. Hear me out. Le Mans, Le Mans, sixty six. Right. This is my this is my rewriting of my <laughs> ideal Le Mans sixty six. Le Mans sixty six. Christian Bale's character is doing the doing the race. It like it does the Guy Ritchie like slow down time effect like the 
when he's like driving in slow motion and then like the epitome of death like comes along and he like sits on the boat and he's like hey there cowboy and then he's like what and then like the the death guy like pulls out a chess set and then they have to start playing chess like while he's like mid-driving and it's like this whole out-of-body experience thing and he's like looking back on his life and the you know the sins that he committed or like you know what he uh the 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 things that he's done in his life you know the life flashing before your eyes kind of thing and then someone says some form of quippy line and then death responds with another form of quippy line and then just like just like christian bell's car just fucking boom smashes into like the side of the the racetrack huge explosion (laughs) dies death horror carol shelby like slowly taking off his sunglasses and like the really like wide-eyed like what the fuck everyone like sprinting towards like the thing that's on fire and then cut to black hard cut to black and then uh uh maybe an epilogue i don't know (laughs) it's a draft (laughs) (laughs) douglas just brought in the world's most miserable film concept uh to the 250 (laughs) And on that note, I- oh, But that's interesting to me. That's <laughs> interesting. There's there's some subtext and stuff that you can get out of that. I'm going to leverage the one tool I have at the mid part of a 250 episode, which is to <laughs> completely derail- The spoiler. Force it spoiler. <laughs> uh, spoiler <laughs> break. Douglas, would you recommend our average 250 viewer to watch Le Mans 66? Four versus Ferrari, a film from 2019. Well, you see, I've got the upper hand here, Jonathan, because I know the demographic of people that are listening to us. And the demographic is between- Our highest demographic is between 18 to 24 years old. So, no, I don't recommend Ford versus Ferrari to our listeners. <laughs> if you're in our 60-plus demographic, Ferrari, I would absolutely oh, yeah. recommend- no, no, go crazy. No, yeah, I'm, fuck it up. I, I, think, I think I have- Tasted the Forbidden Fruit, Douglas, which is fun movies. We've gone through half of this fucking list and we're finally at fun movies and I'm having a good time at the fun movie zone. So, I- I mean, it was fun. It was a fun movie. I liked it. I liked it. I was sitting here. This is why I've got- Douglas has got like three notes. I got a, more than a page. I owe- I wrapped around into the spare blank space on my page. I, 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 I had a fun time with this movie. He's got some shit to say just for the fuck of it. That's it's, right. It's just completely- It's just completely inoffensive. Like, I'm neither- it, I'm it, neither it's old just- nor a man, but I have- uh, I am apparently- <laughs> The barometer of this film says that I am both. <laughs> I do not care the first thing about driving. People are listening to this podcast either to, to hear someone else's opinion on a film that they like- or to hear our opinion on a film that they maybe want to watch or that they're thinking of watching. And I just, with what the list is, with the films that I can see that we have coming, skip this shit. It's not worth two and a fucking half hours of your time. It is hard to disagree with that. It is not as good as other films that we've had in this corner of the list. If this film was at 210, we are- if this film was at 210, I would, I would be much more violent about- Making you say this film is not that bad. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. At a two ten, yeah. I'd be like, absolutely. Yeah. I think at a one thirty, man, there's a lot of movies out there. One thirty is pretty freaking high for this, this film. Being above, I mean, always the one that comes to mind is Handmaiden. Whenever I think of films that are unjustly low mm. in the two fifty list, the first one that always comes to mind is Handmaiden. But even like some of the like 
Buster Keaton stuff or like Tokyo Story or just fucking there's so many other yeah. options yeah, that are enough. further down the list and I'm like they are so more deserving of the 130 slot so it's cynical time here for Douglas on the 250 I still had fun I, I respect Douglas what I really wish is that you'd brought this out earlier before I'd had my huge like tirade of positivity and then look like an idiot I look like a fucking imbecile. Just completely juxtaposing your opinion. So I was like, oh, like, oh, Douglas, I had a really good time. What do you think you're like? Undermining like you. Oh, this film made me see- the 50-year-old fucking dad. My yeah. life flashed before my eyes at this film. <laughs> there wasn't enough creativity. There wasn't enough uh, uh, rumination on the uh, existence of the human spirit. <laughs> it was just cars. I don't care about cars, Jonathan. This is me, <laughs> dramatized Douglas. <laughs> Just for reference. Why do I sound British? <laughs> I am so, so sad. Sad Douglas. Actor Douglas. My favorite film is Inside Lewin Davis. <laughs> my, my favorite film is a child goes out into the backyard and sees a dying bird. And he can't do anything about the bird dying. And the bird dies in his hands. It is hot. In his hands. I'm warping into <laughs> Northern European, <laughs> Northern European <laughs> Douglas. Slightly Northern I walk European out. Yard. I walk out to the strawberry patch where I tried to fuck my cousin when I was a child. <laughs> I'm Ingmar Bergman Douglas. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I was gonna say, wow, what an Ingmar Bergman reference. I'm very proud of you, Thank Douglas, you. to be able to make an Ingmar the Bergman The field of wild strawberries, Douglas. You are paying attention. Absolutely, I'm paying attention. This is the- uh, There we go. I really hope to return to the podcast. This is me, somber actor Douglas. <laughs> I'm European or maybe Slavic because we're also so very sad. <laughs> so very it's sad. so cold. Someone please send me a scarf. It rains here all the time. <laughs> um, uh, all right, fucking play this spoiler goddamn horn. I'm sick of this shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sad European Douglas has left the building, but he will be back in a future episode when Douglas says something wanky. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm gonna. I, 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 look, I don't think wow. I've had a moment where I've like created a character on the spot, and Sad European Douglas is. It's good. I'm very, very happy with it. Is there any content warnings for this? Uh, any content warnings for this film? Not really. There's Italian ah. people in it, so just keep an eye out for that. <laughs> Pinch of salt. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, no. I'm Mama saying, Mama like, Mia. if you are someone who uh, is is affected by the sight of Italian people, like I, um, <laughs> just keep an eye out for that one. No. Uh, you know what? Here's my Boy, fun bit. Love Green Book. Here's my bit, and you might not mm. have been paying attention enough. I okay. didn't mind the child actor in this film, Douglas. And I am normally- Oh, yeah. I am normally a mm. fucking pain in the ass about child actors. And- Me too. Our child actor, Noah- Joop. <laughs> I hope that's how it's pronounced. He's British. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm assuming it's Joop. I thought it was quite good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Did you see- You haven't seen A Quiet Place, have you? I haven't. No. Mm. Very good in that as well. Oh, awesome. Yeah. No, I think- I thought he was really cool. I think- No, I- 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 I just really like the relationship between- Between him and Ken Wells. I think he's a bit- He's a bit of almost like a junk food character in a way. Like, I don't think there's heaps of depth to him. 
Well, there is. I think, like, like when you get the whole situation where he's, like, really worried about his, like, dad dying in, like, a ball of fire, you know. Yes. Yeah. Which- well, I can say this now that we're in the spoiler zone. And I and I had this- Fuck me. What were they doing? I think midway through the film, I just hopped on Wikipedia to see what Ken Miles' deal was. And it's like, Ken Miles Wikipedia, something about Ken Miles, and then about Peter Miles. And then it's like in the little blurb section that like Google scrapes, it's like the, the kid that had watched his dad die in a fucking fiery crash. And I'm like, oh, thanks, Google, for Spoiling the fucking epilogue for me. Thank you, mate. But I think that was- I mean, obviously, sorry. Where, what I'm getting with that is that it was obviously, uh, you know, um, foreshadowing for- Foreshadowing of it. Yeah, yeah, For yeah. what kind of goes on. And it was- That was also interesting because I remember the the bit at the start of Le Mans, like the actual race- where his door isn't closing and then they like close the door. They like hammer the door closed. I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> oh no. Um, is this Big fucking yuttle. Yeah. Is this when, and then I looked at the time left on and I was like, I don't think this is where the guy dies. Nah, in the movie. I don't think but, this- <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I thought yeah. that was, I, I, I've got to, I've got to think that those were the way that that was framed was an intentional choice to sort of red herring you, I think. I think it. I think it's yes. got to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's supposed to instill a fear in you that he's gonna fucking die, and it just it adds to the the stakes and the tension of the whole fucking race, mm. really. So it's yeah, very smart. And to have that ace up your sleeve, it's such a, a seemingly small detail under any other circumstance, but when it has been given that much preface of. They're all wearing heatproof suits, but you need to get them out of the car in order for them to not die. <laughs> Fucking, like, puts up a two by four and nails him into the car. <laughs> so, we're going to weld them in really quick. It's funny. It's um, uh, race car drivers being horribly disfigured and or killed is a running theme in the two race car films that we've had. That we've had. That's true. Yeah. 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 You, you, you forget with- oh. And talking about that, that was my comparison to Rush. I forget the- I forget all the characters' names to Rush. I'm gonna have to look it up again. Daniel Brühl, who plays Nicky Lauda. Yes. In, we love Daniel Brühl. In Rush. His- uh, his whole situation is that he- Spoiler for the real guy in the real life is that he survived a car crash and had these, you know, burns on his face for the rest of his life. But the connection here is that I remember that I believe Nikki, oh, sorry, I believe Daniel Brühl was wearing a tooth prosthesis or something. Because I think the real Nikki Lauda had buck teeth. Douglas is ah. not going to continue the conversation until I acknowledge him sorry, I'm, thrashing. I'm thrashing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chasing Bandini is a real fucking track <laughs> on the- um. On the soundtrack, so <laughs> it is very fun. Nikki Lauda, sorry, rather Daniel Brühl. I confirm this for me. He wore a tooth prosthetic, didn't he, to give him like buck teeth? Oh uh, yes, I believe that was one of the parts of trivia. Yes, yep. Christian Bale should have had a fucking nose prosthetic. I'm mad about yeah, this. I'm yeah, mad about this yeah. <laughs> because Ken Miles had a huge nose. Uh, mm. uh, yeah, he had a fucking huge snoz. <laughs> but I, I mean. What other sort of stuff is going on? There, I, I think in a way, there, there's maybe- I, I, I think there were lots of things that were going on that 
sort of made them seem like their own convincing characters and like sort of represented the people they were supposed to be. Like there's, you know, uh, Carol Shelby like over enunciates his words and he like, he, he says like, where? Like a, like mm. a, a proper royal Brit. And he, um, like always like chewing gum and he's got his like silly little glasses and shit like that. I thought it might have been tobacco. I wasn't sure whether it was. I mean, I, I, I think it's chewing tobacco. I think 66, most people had realized that chewing tobacco is like a great way to inject mm. cancer directly into your cheeks. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not entirely sure. They might have realized it, but had they decided that it was still a bad <laughs> idea? <laughs> yeah, potentially. Another question. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. I think- I never saw him blow a bubble. But yeah, like I said before- you you can sort of ride as close as you want to film realism, but some films are just not- So, rather, some stories, you know, it's Hollywood. That's sort of the game, is that, like, a film- It's rather- Yeah, a film doesn't need to be perfectly mirroring the story for it to be good, you know. I think there's some cases where if you flip the script too much- you can represent it in a way that is, like, offensive. Given that a lot of films that are based on real stories are based on some level of, like, real-world struggle by a human being that was once yeah. or is currently alive, uh, you sort of have to be careful of that. But I think in some ways, like, some dramatization of- this, especially if something that's sort of a bit more pedestrian, like a like a car race as opposed to, you know, a war. Put the mic in front of your fucking face. As opposed to a war. Is that better than this? <laughs> <laughs> I, Thank you. I, I, I you're think fucking that- leading over here and you're doing the podcast and I'm like, I'm actually going to stand. Only the most professional uh, working stand. <laughs> uh, well, let's, let's see if I kept that bit in or if I just edited it straight out. Um, uh, you know, yeah, you don't you don't necessarily have to be. And, and this is why, I don't know, I- I had this moment where I'm like, this is clearly very dramatized, but I was like sort of having fun with it. So I didn't kind of mind too much. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not as, as big a gripe. And I think I, you know, uh, people who do know my opinions on a lot of 250 films, like it's, I, I do like to get wrapped up in spectacle and things like that, but I just don't think that this story in particular was the spectacle that I wanted to be. I wasn't interested in getting wrapped up in it. I just did not fucking care Mm. right from the get-go all the way through to the end. I just personally didn't find a reason to- to care, but I also think I think I think I've got a bit of a stank with Christian Bale. Interesting. I think that's that might be what it is. I love him in American Psycho. I think that's the only thing that I unequivocally absolutely adore him in is American Psycho. How do you feel about him in Batman? Can't remember. It's been too long since I've seen any of the Nolan bats. It is kind of the game with those is that he's sort of not the important character in his own movie. Like, yeah. both The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. By the way, who was in charge of naming those fucking films? Good God. Nolan. <laughs> Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises. There's going to be no- You know what? The Dark Knight Rises sounds like the off-brand fake Batman film they put out two months after The Dark Knight to try and confuse grandmas at the fucking supermarket. It's the, um, that, uh- 
branch of the Disney Animation Studio for, like, when Disney were in, like, their really golden age. And they were just, like, shipping out these direct-to-VHS fucking sequels of, like, Aladdin and Mulan and Lion King and shit like that. They just had that little fucking segment of Disney who were just churning that shit out. <laughs> it's it's the equivalent of that. Anyway. Uh, yeah, definitely with those the two Dark films. The Dark Knight returned to dark. Uh, yeah. Um, with those two films, the villains are sort of, like, the- the character that you remember from both of those films. And I think, I don't know, yeah. I feel like, do you, do you not enjoy Batman? Be- I mean, no, I feel like no one enjoys Batman Begins quite as much as the other two, right? Ooh, I can't, I genuinely cannot say for certain. It's been far too long since I've seen it. All that's popping into my head whenever I, I'm closing my eyes and I'm envisioning Batman Begins right now. And I just see Liam Neeson. That's all I see. I, I don't forgot see he was anything in anything or anyone else. I remember a Liam bit Neeson. where they crashed some trains into each other, or maybe like monorails. Oh. Maybe cool. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, exciting. Anyway, can't wait. So maybe, maybe we can, maybe we can make that sort of our um, two five zero policy is having a bit of a stouch against Christian Bale. A bit of a cr- for the fuck Christian Bale podcast. Christ- well, no. Do you, do you have a stash for Christian Bale? No, not really. I kind of liked him in the film. <laughs> 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 we can make it the fuck Christian Bale podcast. Oh, do you have a thing for Christian? No, I actually don't. No, he's all right. <laughs> <laughs> he's actually fine. I, 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 fuck me. I'm looking at the notes. Uh, I'm looking at my notes. I'm going through my notes right now. And I don't think they're like complaints, but I've got like observations about like movie parts of the movie. We've got, there's like that weird drama scene where like Ken and Molly are like driving and she's like, what yes, were you that doing tonight? Me at fucking all. That's the, that's the one thing that I wrote down where I was just like, I just don't. Yeah. It's not believable. It doesn't really add anything because the conflict happens and then it resolves itself. And they're just, they're like, oh, bleh, I guess it never happened, I suppose. <laughs> like, I didn't feel any growth as a result from that scene. It's just, you no. completely cut that scene out. I wouldn't have been any the wiser. It wouldn't have impacted the story in any way. It sort of feels like they, it was either a studio note or- Like they needed to get her character- They needed to get more. her, like, at the front of our minds. It was one of those two, it felt like. Yeah. There's also the scene where- uh, I think his name is BB, Leo BB. Uh, Leo BB. When he gets locked, he gets locked in the office. That's a very like, it's very movies. The way that they're like, oh, sorry. Like, oh, crank the car, rev that engine. So we can't hear him shouting. But I did like the scene where Shelby is driving Henry Ford around. And like, I don't know how he does it. Tracy Letts is like, not that bad looking of a guy. And he makes himself look absolutely fucking this disgusting swamp creature of a man, <laughs> like squished back in his chair, like oh that okay, and that was that was actually a scene that landed for me really hard after when Carol takes Henry Ford for the spin and then he just kind of breaks down crying. I feel like that in the cinema would have been a laughing moment. But for me, I was like, Whoa, holy shit. Like it's really heavy, and he and he's like, I he's like, I had no idea, and he's like, oh my god, my fucking dad could have like mm. see this right now, like that hit so strong. I was like, holy shit! It was a surprisingly human moment because the other thing is that the film mm. really does not paint Ford as much better than Ferrari. In fact, I don't, I think no. I think he sort of paints Ford as a more of a wanker, like. 
Ford Ford distanced themselves from like the company Ford distanced themselves from this movie <laughs> specifically because they were painting Leo Beebe as a villain. Right. So interesting. Um, and yeah, for those uh, playing along at home, my checked in earlier. I said I've set myself a little landmine of uh, something that I will remember that I did not write down. Tracy Letts plays Larry McPherson in Lady Bird. He is the dad. Ah, That's why I like his character. What a range, by the way. Oh, my goodness. Good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic range. Absolutely. Incredible. Uh, that's, mm. that's a great little scene, but it's all- I mean, actually- I like that actor. He's really good. That's very movies, but in a good way. I think BB being locked mm. in the office is very movies in a- Bad way. Well, not a bad way, but, like, a dramatic way. Uh, and, like, things like the the sort of stoush they've got going at the Daytona is, like, very silly. Like, that seems, like, a little bit mm. too much. And also, this is a bit picky, but the looking up at the bastard on the balcony bit, it's, like, uh, it feels tropey where you're just, like, oh, it's that guy up there. And they're, like, look down at you. It's like almost like something you'd see in like a medieval film, perhaps uh, like a joust or something. It's like very odd. And it happens twice. You get to the second one. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. All right. Weird. But uh, I mean, all that said, I'm just going to lean back. I'm going to finish mowing my lawn, Douglas, crack open a cold one. I'm going to call over my faithful golden retriever that is uh, living in my house and ruining all of my black clothes. Although I don't own any black clothes because I'm a suburban dad, Douglas. All of my clothes are (laughs) navy and plaid, of course, and (laughs) denim. And I sit back in my reclining chair, reclining right now, moving the mic away. And I'm going to watch 2.5 hours of Matt Damon (laughs) knowing a lot about cars. I'm going to have a great time, Douglas. I still stand by it. So I'm going to sit there and go, I'm going to fall asleep. Three quarters of the way through the film. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to crack that cold one. I'm going to have three sips of that cold one. And I'm going to be there for like the first race. Be like, hey, wait, get up, get up. And then like in like an hour and a half. Honk. Honk shoe. <laughs> indeed. And on that note, Douglas, can we please have some fucking trivia? Because I just looked at uh, how long this podcast God. has been going Yeah, this for. is a. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll make it. I'll make it quick. We were there's, there's a lot of fucking trivia for this goddamn film, but we'll keep it short. Fuck it. Trivia is easy to edit. Go crazy. In order to recreate the Le Mans circuit as it existed in the 1960s, they recreated it first and foremost, the scenes taking place on the racetrack had to be shot in five different locations. This proved a challenge in terms of continuity, as not only the cars had to be correctly placed for each shot, but the weather had to be consistent as well. VFX was critical in fixing a variety of continuity issues, some of which were as simple as adjusting clocks to the right time. (laughs) Oh my god. Oh dear. They were looking out for Fucking cinema sins on their yeah, ass. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. That's hectic. I'm gonna pop open the cinema sins while you while you continue. I'm gonna see how long their episode is. <laughs> Not shown in the film is John Surtees, the English driver who had won the 1964 Formula One World Championship while driving for Ferrari and who was set to race with Scuderia Ferrari again at Le Mans in 1966. However, he famously quit Ferrari over a disagreement with Enzo Ferrari after his suggestion to be a pace-setting hair that would force the GT40s to push themselves to the limit to catch him was dismissed and did not drive in the race. That's actually not fucking half a bad idea. I like that. Hmm. That's sneaky as fuck. 
being that, yeah, being the hair for the race to get the forwards to really fucking amp themselves up for, like, the first, like, 16 hours. Oh, so, then they're just yeah, dog yeah. shit by the time they come around to where it actually counts. I see, yeah. That's fucked up. Lee Iacocca died on July 2nd, 2019 at the ripe old age of 94, just four months before the movie was released. Wow. Oh, that's a shame. That's fucking heartbreaking. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I would have loved to have heard what he would have thought of uh, John Bernthal in the role. Christian Bale was originally set to play Enzo Ferrari in Michael Mann's Enzo Ferrari, <laughs> oh, which is okay. in production. Not this film. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I like, know. had the exact same reaction. <laughs> Michael Mann's Enzo Ferrari, which is the name of the film, which is set to be released in 2023, but he dropped out due to concerns he had regarding getting the proper weight in time for the movie. It says that Mann replaced him with Hugh Jackman, but I guess Mann must have replaced him again, because if you go and look at the cast listing, it's Adam Driver who's Enzo Ferrari oh. now. So, what is, what is, I think that's a way better casting choice than Hugh Jackman. Young Enzo Ferrari. Yeah. Mm. That's right. He's got Cedric really the wide set of eyes. <laughs> look, mm. look, no hate, but Enzo was kind of a funny looking dude. Mm. Mm. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Hugh Jackman was the first actor to replace Bale until Adam Driver took over the role after Hugh Jackman tested positive of COVID in January 2022. Oh, okay, okay. Imagine fucking. Oh, testing positive and losing an entire fucking film. Ripped off. That's hectic. Yeah. God. But Hugh, I think Hugh would be very chill about that kind of a thing. He seems like a cool guy out of all the stuff that I've seen of him. Um, In preparation for his role, Christian Bale took race driving lessons at the Bondurant uh, High Performance Driving School. As it happened, the founder of the school had been a friend of Ken Miles. So in addition to the driving, Bale also got to hear stories of the 1960s racing scene. Bale's instructor and the film's stunt coordinator, Robert Nagel, later stated, quote, he's hands down the best actor I've ever trained. Oh, that's awesome. That's so nice. He does his work. That is one thing that I can say of Christian Bale. Man does his work. According to Matt Damon, Christian Bale had to lose 70 pounds before filming began. Bale had previously gained a lot of weight for his role in Vice, which was about a year prior, and had about seven months to lose it all and then some to play the lean race car drive- uh, seven months to lose it all and then some, to play the lean race car driver, Ken Miles. Damon inquired of Bale how he managed to lose all the weight, to which Bale replied that he simply didn't eat. Damon said he was impressed by Bale's monk-like discipline. That'll do it. I wonder- So, wait. So, what was the, what was the film Fucking that he- psycho. What was the film he gained weight for? Vice. Vice, maybe. Um, I- Overweight or was he muscular- this doesn't look like- Overweight. He's playing um, Dick Cheney. Oh. Um, okay. Uh, well, with, you know, the help of a good nutritionist, like, fasting can be quite effective uh, as long as you're, like, just straight fasting. The public, or at least Bale, seems to make it sound like it's, you know, it's all coming from me. It's me that's doing the thing. Mm. Which I- I would wager he probably does have some form of dietitian. Oh, no, no. Yeah, absolutely. You helping him out. Holy fucking shit. Okay, I've just seen the photos. Yeah. That is- cr- That's fucking obscene. He looks like a completely have you seen that different one human. TikTok of- Have you seen that one TikTok of, like, Christian Bale's acting career and how much his weight- Oh, yeah. Oh, he's really bad for years. it, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. 
He, ba- he does it all the time. He it's probably fucking terrible for him. He's probably going to die very it's young. It's probably ruining his body. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah, a little bit scary. One final bit, Matt Damon and Christian Bale agreed that the brawl between their respective characters was the most fun scene to film. Both had experience of extensively choreographed fight scenes that take weeks to learn, so it was a positive change that they only had to rehearse the brawl for 20 minutes and weren't required to look lethal while doing it. Yeah, okay, that's cool. I did th- I did think it was a bit goofy, but whatever. <laughs> it flipped me <laughs> over. Get <laughs> you! Um, yeah, that's it. There's a whole fuck ton more trivia if you're at all interested in it, though. A lot of it's, like, car-related stuff that I just don't- Yeah, I also don't give a fuck about. (laughs) Um, that is the thing is, despite enjoying the car talk in this movie, I still don't give two shits about cars. I'm not about to run over to my TV and open up the nearest fucking racing channel, that's for sure. Well, if you enjoyed- uh, this episode of the Jeff podcast. Uh, we put them out every week, Tuesday midnight, Australian Eastern Standard Time, which comes out to Monday afternoons and Monday in Europe and Monday mornings in fuck. Monday more Monday money. Monday afternoons <laughs> in Europe and Monday mornings in America. Thanks for people go if they want more info on the podcast. <laughs> uh, it's so fun to just watch. You can see the brain synapses is firing. No, no, they're not firing. No, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're trying. They're false starting. If you want a hub for all things 250, you can open up your favorite web browser and go to www.250.com. You can also check us out on Instagram at 250pod. Douglas and I both use Letterboxd, which is a movie tracking and reviewing website. My account on Letterboxd is Upa. That is U-U-U-P-A-H and Douglas. My account is Ienzo Knight, I-E-N-Z-O-K-N-I-G-H-T, Ienzo Knight. We do written reviews of all the films that we talk about here on the 250, as well as anything else that we've watched in our spare time. Um, in my spare time, I watched mid mid somar mid mid somar what do you think of it douglas uh, because this is uh i've talked about this on the podcast i don't watch horror movies i go to wikipedia yes. and i read the synopses <laughs> synopsis <laughs> so i know movies, exactly. everything that happens in midsummer and i have watched really i've watched none of it and i do not intend wow. to because i've read that that synopsis and i'm like it's fucked up i read the synopsis it's and i'm like up. wow i'm really glad i didn't watch this there's there's a lot that's going on, and I think uh, Florence Pugh just fucking gives it. She's an amazing fucking actor, and it's just a very confronting piece of cinema that I just kind of felt very exhausted after it, <laughs> oh, and not in a good way. Yeah, I'll bet. It's two and a half hours. It sort of gives me the vibe of being very explicitly uh, metaphorical, like in a way like- you know the film Mother exclamation point like that kind of thing yeah. where yep. where yep. the what is being presented is so out there that your brain immediately like your kind of critical 250 brain immediately goes like oh okay this is a metaphor for something right and mm. mid midsummer is it pronounced that way is it just midsummer i i'm just saying midsummer just to be safe but um yeah. I, I, I at least people know what we're talking about. Yeah, it at least gives me yeah that that vibe of they're there. And I mean, I, this is not like a slight against the film or people that enjoy it. Like, mm. but the film is definitely mm. like here's like the here's this whole thing. And and also, if you want to watch an old man's head get smashed open, then uh, you can do that. Yeah, too. 
Mid Midsummer is the film to do that. That's for sure. Mm. I think this is my first outing with Ari Aster, and I think this is my three billboards outside Emming, Missouri, and Hereditary is going to be my in Bruges, where I actually get to understand more oh, about okay, what it is that the director is going for. I see what you're saying. Sorry, I was just like, I thought in Bruges was your in Bruges. <laughs> no, I see what you're saying. No, so <laughs> I didn't understand I didn't understand Martin McDonagh as a as a director from watching Three Billboards Outside Emming, Missouri. I just didn't get it. And then I watched in Bruges and I was like, that's fucking it. That's what you're trying to do. I get it now. And I think this is very much the same kind of kettle of fish. I still don't really know what the message of Midsummer is, what I'm supposed to be taking away from it. But nonetheless, I think it's great. I think it's a fun little piece of cinema. But I am interested to see what the other works are like, especially Hereditary, because it's got the lovely Tony Collette yeah. starring in it. Oh, so, my God. Can never go wrong with Tony Collette. What a creature. What a, never go wrong with Tony Collette. What a beautiful fucking Being actor. a pure light. Australian <laughs> fucking treasure. Um, and then I also rewatched. <laughs> I think oh. I've talked about it before. He, he he always does these laughs before he watches something fucking terrible. Sorry, what did you watch, Douglas? Snow White and the Huntsman. Ah. <laughs> did you just? Uh, directed by Rupert Sanders, starring Kristen Stewart and Chris Hemsworth and Charlize Theron. <clears throat> the general consensus from Letterboxd is that everyone comes to this film to watch Charlize Theron. And they're like, Charlize Theron fucking slays. She's amazing. Honestly, had to sit through all that just for Charlize Theron. She wasn't really fucking cutting it for me. I think this- I th- it, This sounds like a hot take, but she just kind of screams a lot. She does- It's- And, like, the character does somewhat justify that screaming, mm. but it's all she does. I just would- I just would like a little bit more flavor there. Right. I don't know. Mm. They spend a lot of time looking at, like, the subtext and the backstory to her as a character, which is great, because, mm. like, it's cool to have, like, a villain that has context and backstory. But I just don't think that the motivation and the backstory and everything really needed her to yell and scream every second line. And before everyone fucking comes after me and they're like, hey, you love prisoners, don't you, you son of a bitch? Jake Gyllenhaal and Hugh Jackman, they scream their dick out in that film and you love those guys. I'm very much aware of the the style of acting that TikTok and fucking YouTube people love to praise and worship of, like, uh, top five acting moments where actors fucking break loose. And it's like Leonardo DiCaprio in Django Unchained and Hugh Jackman in Prisoners when he smashes the hammer against the basin and shit like that. I'm very aware that that, that is, like, it, it, that is acting. But whether it is good acting or not is a debate for another day. <laughs> and I just, I'm not, I'm very well aware that scream acting is not necessarily mean good acting. It just means that we, as people who don't get the chance to scream or yell that often, find situations like that and we go, whoa, like, holy shit, that's really intense. Oh my fucking God, they, they do that? Whoa, that's crazy. Because we don't get that. We don't get the opportunity to do shit like that a lot. So our brains... Have that, like, God, I wish I could do that. So, we worship it and we idolize it. Douglas, it makes sense. Douglas, anyway. wait. This is your opportunity. Do you have an audience? you have a platform? Do I? Douglas, <laughs> can you just scream for me? Just give me a little scream. Just a little scream. Ah. Uh, anyway, I didn't watch any fucking movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Also, no, no, no. Quickly, before we finish on Snow White and Huntsman, um, they use, quote, unquote, regular sized 
actors to play the dwarves. Yep. When Warwick Davis is right fucking there. He's right there. As well as many other amazing little people that could play the dwarves. And instead, it's just a fucking spit in the face to get Ian McShane, Nick Frost, fucking all of these, like, British actors to play the dwarves. What a fucking- It's just, like, it's- it's- it's the same as if you got someone to do blackface. It's literally the same thing. Yeah, no, it's fucked up to me. I- I think it sucks. If you're gonna have small people in a film or you want that kind of aesthetic- Get the people who can do that. Don't fucking CGI the people that you want to do that. Like, ugh, it's a minority and they deserve that work. They deserve that publicity and that, like, they are good at their job. So, ugh, yeah. That shit fucking rubs me the wrong way. I just, I think my general consensus, I had a steelbook of this when I was like 16. I remembered watching it a lot, but I think my 16-year-old boy brain just completely shut off, dead behind the eyes. I just thought Kirsten Stewart was hot for about two and a half hours. I think that was it. Yeah. I stand by that statement. Kirsten oh, Stewart's yeah. hot. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's hard to- Yeah. Uh, it's hard to disagree with. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. I, I got sick. Male gaze. I got sick and- <laughs> Fuck. Well, I think, Douglas, I think the male gays aren't that interested in Kirsten Stewart. I think they're more interested in Chris Hemsworth, okay? <laughs> Sorry, I think I've made that joke before. Um, Ba-doom. Uh, yeah, no, I got sick and then I fucking Persona 5 came out on Switch and, <laughs> and it's all over. <laughs> Run the theme song. That's the episode. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Thank you for- We're out of here. Bam, 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 Thank you for joining us on the 255 podcast. Where am I? Am I not unique? Maybe I'm not here at all. <laughs> you know the lyrics. I just, the <laughs> it's just sound to me. <laughs> what does it mean that we're here? God damn it, a different. God damn it, baby. Wake up, get up, get up, there. This is the worst. Right, this is bite. far and away the worst. I've got like a gross throat. I'm like, my fucking- t- My- my tongue- <laughs> See ya. I'm gonna- Goodbye. I'm gonna make excuses. See ya later. <laughs>